Today on the Word Preacher Podcast, Jesus saves those who believe in him, alternative explanations for divine manifestations, and collapse. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. All right, this week we are looking at 3 Nephi chapters 1 through 7. Um, So to set the situation just a little bit, Nephi, who was the son of Nephi, who was the son of Helaman, um, he inherited the records of the Nephites. He took the plates. Um, His father, Nephi, the son of Helaman, who had, with his brother Nephi, performed one of the greatest missionary feats ever, uh, in the history of the world, um, he he kind of walked away and was never seen or heard from again, similar to what happened with Alma the Younger. So Nephi, his son, uh, becomes kind of the presiding authority among the Christian faith uh, in the Nephite people. So Samuel the Lamanite, as we had already talked about last week, made a few predictions about things that would happen that would indicate that the Son of God was going to be born. Um, As the time drew close for these signs to appear, and still they weren't happening, many of the people who were wicked began to taunt the righteous. Um, Essentially asking, where is your God now? Here's a little bit of reading. Uh, And they began to rejoice over their brethren, saying, Behold, the time is past, and the words of Samuel are not fulfilled. Therefore your joy and your faith concerning this thing hath been vain. And it came to pass that they did make a great uproar throughout the land. And the people who believed began to be very sorrowful, lest by any means those things which had been spoken might not come to pass. But behold, they did watch steadfastly for that day and that night and that day, which should be as one day as if there were no night, that they might know that their faith had not been in vain. Now it came to pass that there was a day set apart by the unbelievers that all those who believed in those traditions should be put to death, except the sign should come to pass which had been given by Samuel the prophet. Uh, That's chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. So this may seem like a radical transition. We're getting to the point where people who believe in Jesus need to be killed. Uh, How did they arrive there? Um, I think this is an important question because uh, there are going to be several parallels between Christ's first coming and his second. Um, And there's a pattern that's not just applying to these comings, but it's it's been done with many prophets throughout all of history. Uh, Many enemies of the church go uh, from a process where they make fun of those with faith and their beliefs to calling these beliefs 
harmful or problematic in order to justify extreme measures, violence and uh, other aggression, even killing of people who believe. Um, this is essentially what happened with Lehi in Jerusalem, 600 years before the coming of Christ. Uh, we had the people of Jerusalem in the first year of the reign of Zedekiah who mocked him initially and then sought to take away his life. Same steps. And this is the exact pattern that occurred with Abinadi when he preached uh, to the people of King Noah. They mocked him. Oh, th how does this guy know that Christ is going to come? And uh, who, who does this guy think he is that uh, our king's life shall be valued as a garment in a furnace? Uh, what, a, what an idiot he is. And it proceeded from that to his ideas are treason. They're harmful ideas, and we would be justified. He is worth killing. He is worthy of death. The enemies of Jesus during his ministry frequently used a combination of mockery, whether declaring, oh, this man hath a devil, and, uh, you know, the, the, there's no prophecy that uh, suggests anyone will come from Nazareth. This man is a fool, and all sorts of mockery of Jesus. And then repeated attempts at violence, where they're going to throw him off of uh, the uh, the edge of the city, off of a hill to kill him. Ultimately, they succeed by uh, manipulating illegal trials and manipulating their Roman governors uh, to allow them to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith, the prophet, was also mocked frequently regarding the Book of Mormon, his quote-unquote gold Bible. And when that was insufficient, he was beaten, mobbed, illegally imprisoned, betrayed by government officials who had promised protection and the administration of justice, and ultimately murdered by his enemies. Um, even today, violence is perpetrated by mobs and criminals against those who believe or look differently than them. What is the advice of Jesus when dealing with this sort of uh, peril? It's watch and pray. And you can see that in these verses that we read in 3 Nephi, that the Christians in the days of Nephi diligently watched. And Nephi went and prayed. He asked God for some support and received an answer that on that very night, Jesus would come, and the sign that was promised would arrive, literally saving his people. Um, that night, the sun went down, but there was no darkness. The sign that had been predicted by Samuel the Lamanite was produced by Jesus the Christ, and those who believed were spared. All right, let's talk about some alternative explanations that arose for these divine manifestations. Um, in chapter 2 of 3 Nephi, it reads uh, as, as follows, And it came to pass 
that thus passed away the 90 and 5th year also, and the people began to forget those signs and wonders which they had heard, and began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven, insomuch that they began to be hard in their hearts, and blind in their minds, and began to disbelieve all which they had heard and seen." imagining up some vain thing in their hearts that it was wrought by men and by the power of the devil to lead away and deceive the hearts of the people. And thus did Satan get possession of the hearts of the people again, insomuch that he did blind their eyes and lead them away to believe that the doctrine of Christ was a foolish and a vain thing. So one of the things that I sometimes do with my family is uh, to watch um, presentations, shows, videos that demonstrate various kinds of illusions. It can be an enjoyable thing to think that you're seeing one thing and realize that it's just an illusion, it's a trick, and the way that your mind interprets things is not always accurate. This is pretty common. Everybody has, almost everyone, has seen simple illusions as like two matching colors that seem different depending on the backgrounds, or a forced perspective trick that makes one item look bigger than another. Um, even young children sort of recognize that that's an illusion of some sort. And beyond this, uh, even not unintentional illusions, almost everyone has misheard something that someone has said or felt a phantom buzz of their phone in their pocket, or seen what appears to be water shimmering on the surface of a hot road during a summer day. Almost everyone kind of intuitively understands that their senses can be fooled, which puts an enemy of Christ who has already come to a particular conclusion in uh, they present themselves in one of the following ways. They, one, demand physical evidence, and if none is given on demand, they conclude that none exists. Or, they demand physical evidence, and if it is given, then they conclude that it is an illusion, and that their sensory input which was trustworthy enough to acquire convincing evidence, now can no longer be trusted. You know, show us a sign, and then a sign comes, and then they don't believe the sign. It must have been a trick of men, or wrought by the power of the devil. Um, this is Im important to recognize, this tendency of people to do this. Um, because, and particularly during this political climate that we are experiencing right now in an election year in the United States of America, there's a lot of people that pretend to give weight to facts and fact-checking. But it's important to remember in all of this, whether it's um, something with, uh, with uh, temporal matters, with, with politics, with life, uh, or whether it's something spiritual, no one is capable of processing all of the facts, let alone having them or obtaining them. And because people are incapable of having all of the facts, any presenter of facts must 
prioritize the facts that they believe are more important. Or if this presenter of facts is less reputable, they prioritize the facts that they believe will favor their position rather than just are important. So how can a person, if they can never have all of the facts to truly uh, ensure that they're, they're getting an adequate representation, how can they be confident that they can ever arrive at a, a real representation of the truth? From, from facts. There are only two options, really, when you go down these roads. One, a person determines that truth is unobtainable, and they become some sort of black-pilled, a hyper-skeptical, nihilistic, or pessimistic individual that just doesn't believe in truth, or they just believe what they want. Um, or alternatively, you put your faith in someone who you are confident has all the facts. You trust that they represent the truth in how they prioritize the information that they share. Um, President Russell M. Nelson called this being vitamin-pilled. Take your vitamin pills. Get ready. Be prepared to hear the truth from the source of all truth. And that is trustworthy. He knows all of the facts. So when he says this is most important, you can take that to the bank. It's also vitally important as, as we are in these situations where people try and come up with these alternative explanations for divine manifestations that you never let someone else's doubts trump what God has given you. Just because someone else says that answers to prayer are just your feelings does not mean they know anything about the personal answers that you or I have received from God. Your spiritual senses are no less valid than seeing the sun go down and observing daylight or the coming of a new star. There will always be those who seek for you to abandon your faith and testimony. For me, there is no one who can take away the answers that God has given me to specific prayers that I have offered. I have tasted the sweet sense of spiritual closeness as I have been forgiven of my sins. And I promise you that this was not just a feeling. This was spiritual communion with the divine. He is absolutely real. All right. Our last subject, collapse. In spite of the rise of evil during the, the time of Nephi here and the re-emergence of the Gadianton robbers, there's a counter-movement of righteousness that appears. After hiding in the wilderness for all of this time, the Gadianton robbers believe that they have acquired enough power and, and uh, numbers to overtake the Nephites. So the Nephites, the righteous Nephites, um, uh, those who have, uh, are still insistent on believing in Christ, they gather together in a couple of cities, Zarahemla and Bountiful, in a tight but very solid defense. 
And this puts unexpected pressure on the robbers, who all of the sudden have no one to rob. And they don't really have the skills, they haven't developed the abilities to get resources themselves. So it propels them to this inevitable great battle in the which the overconfident robbers are beaten by people who have faith in Christ. The remaining, the surviving robbers, uh, are driven back, and they still surround the outside land. The Nephites retreat to their stronghold, um, and they imagine that the best strategy is to lay siege to the Nephites, which is a really bad idea because there are more resources inside the fortifications than outside. So the robbers, with no one to rob and no means to supply themselves, even though they have access to everything else outside, they begin to be in trouble and weakened and starved themselves. And over time, the Nephites are able to march out and raid the robbers, ultimately destroying the robbers completely. So at last, they can escape this fortification. They've established righteousness in the land, and, uh, and it's been good. But after a short period of prosperity, and you may have heard this, this sort of situation before, the Nephites again turn to pride. This is a little unlike other elements of the pride cycle, because many of these people should have known better. It's not just that they kind of lost sight of their priorities. They really chose to do things that were selfish and bad, knowing that they were bad. The wickedness that, that began to permeate the land caused the, the full organization of the church to collapse, with really only pockets of righteous people remaining. Um, but not the same organization that they had previously enjoyed. When prophets rose to try and preach repentance, many of them were slain, and people who slew them in order to cover themselves renewed those secret combinations of the robbers that they had defeated only a few years prior. And then you have conflict between the judges who were uh, in charge in, in the central area of the land, and those who were in charge elsewhere, and those who had killed the prophets and established this secret combination, they collapsed the government. And so everyone sort of just formed independent tribes. One particularly bad uh, tribe, which had been involved in the destruction of the government, that big collapse, um, they wanted to establish a king, uh, and the name of their leader was Jacob. The other tribes of individuals, these groups of people, were not righteous, but they were united in their hatred of Jacob, who had destroyed their government. So Jacob fled into the wilderness and established a secret kingdom in the north, um, and told his people that over time they would again build their numbers and they would prevail and reign over everyone. Um, Nephi, he began to, to go to some of these various tribes and preach. 
uh, and he worked many mighty miracles. There were incredible things that he was able to do. But many of these people who were wicked, had become very wicked, were angry with him and cast him out. Um, at last, though, Nephi did find some success, and Mormon records at the end that many were baptized unto repentance. In terms of parallels, it does not take a long time for life to be completely turned upside down, to completely collapse. This can happen in terms of great wars or political conflicts, which we've seen throughout the 20th century. It can happen with natural disasters and pandemics. It can happen with cultural trends, where a position that is totally legitimate today is hateful and unacceptable tomorrow, or vice versa. Something that's hateful yesterday is totally acceptable tomorrow. Um, we don't know everything that is going to happen before Christ comes. Those whose faith is in men and the institutions of men will find that those men are capable of collapsing. We can be confident in the advice of Jesus Christ. Watch and pray. Have faith in all circumstances. You may see the church adapt to changing circumstances in different ways, as they did in the time of Nephi. But the doctrine, faith, penitence, baptism, and reliance on Jesus Christ will persist. In the end, no unhallowed work, no unhallowed hand can stop this work from progressing. Jesus Christ is the undefeatable king. And you do not need to wait until he arrives to know him. He sends his prophets, as he did in ancient times, and he sends various signs to those with eyes to see and ears to hear. He is coming, as he did before, to save his people. Blessed are they which, when he comes, he finds doing what he asked them to do. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Next week, we will look at 3 Nephi chapters 8 through 11, the Son of God in the meridian of time. Of course, there's a ton of stuff we did not cover this week. Please study this individually and with your family. And as always, fight on.